episode, the student sums it up through sound. I'm your host, Olivia Yeager, and every Wednesday I'll sit down with editors, writers, and newsmakers of Amherst College to get a grasp on the biggest stories of the week. Today is Wednesday, March 31st, and we begin by taking a look at some of the student responses in the wake of ongoing anti-Asian hate crimes. This week, this week, Lin Lee has the story about a rally that took place this weekend in support of AAPI women on the Amherst Town Green and the Amherst College campus. Hey, Lynn, how's it going? Can you tell me a little bit about what the scene was on, on Saturday when this rally took place? Yeah, it was a very interesting combination of students' desire to support the larger public rally that was taking place on the common, as well as the administration's um, wish to keep students safe within the bubble. Our student leaders of the Asian Students Association uh, had to meet with Dean Liz Augusto and also Chief Officer of Student Affairs, Karu Kozuma, about being able to even attend the rally. And in the end, uh, they were able to get permission to go support on the lawn in front of Garmin and Porter House. So there were mics set up on both sides um, so that um, speakers on both sides could be heard throughout the rally. Those who took part in organizing the event who I spoke to uh, reported being really happy about uh, the size of the crowd and and also the diversity in, in who showed up. Oh, so could you tell me a bit more about who showed up and who organized it and what, what were they saying once the, the rally was actually underway? What, what took place during it? Yeah, so... Uh, Jia Zhang, she's a, a junior here. Um, she was the first to receive information about this rally that two graduate students at UMass uh, organized. And that was the public rally that took place on the common. And she's one of the co-chairs of APAC, which is the Asian Pacific American Action Committee that's been advocating for the addition of an Asian American Studies Department at the college. So she worked in conjunction with other members of APAC as well as ASA to plan the rally and spread information about it around campus. In addition to students who attended the rally, there were also several faculty members who traveled to campus and also showed their support by attending. Among those faculty members was history professor George Chow, who actually helped distribute posters about the rally and spread awareness to the larger community, as well as American studies professor Franklin Odo, who actually was an activist in the Asian American civil rights movement of the 1960s. As far as who was in attendance, there were students from all sorts of groups of color, Native students, Black students, Latinx students, as well as uh, Asian students from of all identities. And there were also uh, student athletes, non-student athletes, uh, really just a pretty diverse mix. 
Do you have an estimate about how many students were in attendance? According to the mayor of ASA, uh, Sung Kwok, there were about one to 200 people in total there over the course of the two hours that the rally took place. Oh, wow. So what did some of these organizers say to you about kind of the content of the event? What were students saying and what were their reflections on the event itself? Because it was primarily organized by UMass and a lot of the crowd was centered on the common there ended up being a little bit of difficulty in coordinating with the public rally and getting more time for Amherst students to speak. The format of the rally was very much an open mic that allowed community members to come up and speak about their experiences surrounding prejudice and discrimination towards Asian Americans. And in particular, it wanted to center the voices and experiences of AAPI women. Several Asian women uh, spoke about experiences that attendees who I spoke to afterwards said really resonated with them or made them feel validated in their own experiences. Um, Some students did say that as the rally went on, the focus seemed to shift less Um, or the focus seemed to, or as the rally went on, it seemed to lose some of that focus on centering um, the voices of Asian women, which students were a little bit frustrated about. But overall, all of the attendees I spoke to found something in the rally that was really powerful. Do you have an example that you might be able to share about one of those isolated moments that students did find powerful? Several students did bring up the speech that Jaja made. She was one of the few students who did end up speaking on the Amherst side. In her speech, particularly emphasized the long history of violence towards Asians in America as well as the lack of response, that the long history of violence against Asians in America. You know, one part of her speech went, let me pose to you this real life analogy to describe how I feel. Remember when we had those fire drills and we covered our ears, but the sirens were so loud, they were impossible to ignore, forcing us to leave the building. Those sirens are the eight fatal shots that Robert Long fired. That building is complacency, and that person leaving it is a lot of people I know. It's called the United States, and even though I call it a real-life analogy, my real life and a lot of our real lives don't need analogies, because even though eight gunshots were too loud to ignore, Many of us managed to ignore 3,800 reported anti-Asian hate crimes in the past year. Eight gunshots were loud enough to send us flying out of the building, but the stabbings and acid attacks were too quiet. Wow, that's extremely powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that and for reporting on this event. Thank you. Now we'll turn 
to another crisis plaguing our country. The COVID-19 pandemic, of course, has remained a present threat on Amherst campus. And this week, Sophie Wolmer brings us the story of how quarantine is working and how the campus is responding to violations and breaches and protocol that put the community at risk. Sophie brings us this story now. Hi, Sophie. What did your reporting look like this this week? What did you find about where the campus stands in terms of COVID, in terms of COVID regulations? Hi, Olivia. Thanks for having me. Love to be back. <laughs> we love having you here. I guess that this story all started a few weeks ago when I heard about a case where several students, uh, six to be precise, were kicked off campus because they had broken their quarantine. And so I actually personally knew one of these students and talked to them a bit about their experience and they reported some pretty alarming things. So I decided to do an investigative piece to see what was actually going on. I ended up talking to Dean Liz Augusto, Sandy Janelius. I talked to several students who are in quarantine now, and also three of the freshman students who were kicked off campus for breaking their quarantine. Well, so what did they say? What was the story uh, with these students? Why did they get kicked off campus? These students wanted to remain anonymous because they were, they're still afraid of the backlash that they may receive from the administration. They were both placed in quarantine because they had close contacts with positive cases, right? So the two students, they were originally placed in quarantine, what was said to be for eight days. They just had to receive three negative tests and then they were free to go. It didn't work out that way. Things, logistics got messed up. They ended up in quarantine for 16 days. They weren't allowed any outdoor time during that period. There were a lot of concerning things going on. There are pictures that I saw of trash piling up. They were at the in the roadway in in Hadley. And so there were some pictures that I saw of broken tables and lamps, which is all pretty concerning initially. When they had first moved in? When they first moved in and just throughout the process, they also took pictures of their bathrooms, which had like pretty bad grime rings. Overall, the conditions that they were painting just didn't seem favorable to living in a healthy way. And they also talked about how they were not given many mental health resources and they were disappointed with the food. But I think that there were definitely other factors going on here. They were also uh, thinking back in the context of recently being kicked off campus. So I think we should also take that uh, into consideration. But after they were released from their 16 day quarantine, another student who they were all close contacts with tested positive. So they were sent back into quarantine. So the longest period that one of these students was in quarantine was for 25 days. And at that point, eventually, they gathered in a common room and there was alcohol present. Um, ACPD ended up finding out. Uh, and so because of that, they were all sent home. I talked to them, but then again, I talked to other students who are currently in quarantine and the conditions have improved very much. Um, those students that I talked to are really satisfied with the food. They said that they have more than enough, uh, that they've been put in contact with individual health counselors and that the college has been more than accommodating. So I think there's definitely a disparity in uh, opinion amongst students who have been in quarantine. And perhaps that's just because the college has gotten more informed and improved the quarantine process as time has gone on. Wow. 
That's a really crazy story. And I think it's, I want to make sure to point out that I believe that one of the, the, the three or four main reasons that the college justifies kicking students off campus or asking them to leave campus is for violating quarantine regulations. Is that true? Is that the, the reason they gave for asking these students to go home? Um, I believe so. Yes, it was because they broke their quarantine. And even though they had received negative tests and were all traced back to the same person and had been tested uh, or they had all spent time together just before entering quarantine, by ha being in contact in that common room, they were drinking from the same bottles. And so there was definitely uh, issues of contamination that were involved. I see. So what did, what did Dean Augusto and some of the administrators say when you spoke to them about this incident? Right. I didn't speak to them particularly about the incident, but more so about quarantine rules more generally. Mm -hmm. Dean Augusto, she said that the college is doing their best to support students and they're proactively responding as issues arise. And she confirmed that each day students are delivered a range of meals during, for each 24 hour period. And they're designed to meet the individual's dietary needs and restrictions. Um, she said that the quarantine rooms are each have a microwave and refrigerator like all of our uh, dorm rooms here on campus. They're appointed a health staff's uh, service member to check in on their COVID symptoms. Um, and also they have a mental health counsel uh, liaison. So that they have a lot of resources. Um, they're also given puzzles, games, art supplies, and other items to pass the time, Dean Augusto said. Wow. Okay. So it sounds like things are adapting and people are learning as, as the semester goes on and students continue having to go into quarantine. I'm happy to see that the quarantine process has improved and that the college has gotten better. Then I think I shed some light on what it actually entails when you're traced to a positive test. Well, thank you, Sophie, for doing this reporting and taking a closer look. Anytime. Then we'll wrap up this week with news of Amherst's years to come. The college just admitted its most recent batch of high school seniors to enter into the class of 2025. And Zach Jonas brings us this story this week. Hey, Zach, what did you report on this week about the latest news from admissions? So the big story here for, I think, Amherst students, and I think Amherst students will be excited to hear this, is that the admission rate went from 12% last year to 8% this year. This year, for the 2020 to 2021 admission cycle, the college received a record-breaking 14,000 applications. That's up from about 10,600 from the previous year. That's also a 32% increase. So on March 29th at 18.21 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, that is 6.21 p.m., students received the news that they were admitted to the college. That time is, was chosen, it was very specific, and it's a nod to the college's bicentennial and the year 1821, which of course was the year of Amherst's founding. Every little detail is thought out. <laughs> it's kind of wonderful. So did you talk to the admissions office about the, the uniqueness of this class? I'm especially thinking of the fact that all of these students must have applied and chosen Amherst during the COVID-19 pandemic, during which they couldn't even visit Amherst campus itself, let alone probably the town in the area. So so did you talk at all about the, the uniqueness of the circumstances this year specifically? So I'd like to talk about two things, I think. 
of course, as you said, this class is incredibly unique and it's incredibly diverse, just as much as in the past few years. To your second point, this was the first year that students could apply to the college under a test optional policy. McGann sent us the stats and approximately 37% of incoming first years elected not to submit testing. So that's an ACT or SAT score. Um, that's completely new for the college. So about a third of students opted not to take a test, but two thirds mm -hmm. still did. Two thirds still did, yes. And of course we have some other stats from you. So the admitted students come from about 891 secondary schools in, from over 50 countries around the world. Those high schools are in, are in 48 U.S. states, plus Washington, D.C., Puerto Rico, American Samoa, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. About 60% of those admitted students identify as domestic students of color. About 10% are international students. About 10% are admitted every single year, so that's not a change. Last year, Amherst also admitted about students, students about 60% of students who identified as students of color. That's also not a change. There's a slight increase in the number of students admitted who identify as a first-generation college student, and that's 22% this year. Last year, for the 2019-2020 admission cycle, it was 19%. Well, thank you so much for that, Zach. And that's it for this week. Join us back here next week as we discuss campus safety and police disarmament, as well as the week's top stories. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.